0: I want to ask you the question, do you believe it's still possible? Do you believe what happened in the past can happen again? Or, or did God change the way he does things? Because see, when we, when we think about this feast of Shavuot, we're thinking about how God gave us his beautiful Torah, his law, we, we think about on Mount Zion how God poured out His Spirit, the book of Acts chapter 2, 2,000 years ago about. And sometimes when we come to this feast, we're, we're commemorating that, we're celebrating that, what God did. But do we see it as this historical event and celebrate it as this historical event, this thing of the past? Or I wanna ask you, is he still able to do it? Because see, when we look upon what happened back there, we're, we see that the Spirit is poured out. We see the apostles continuing this ministry that Yeshua gives them. We see that the, in history, that the early church transformed the world. That's why you're sitting here today. There were pagan cities, pagan temples, which were being overthrown. They became assemblies of God. Cities for God, and it was all not just through wisdom and knowledge. There was knowledge. There was there was all these things, but it was by the Spirit of God. God performed wonders and miracles, and people believed the the apostles' word that the resurrection did occur. That there was something to it, because Yeshua it didn't die. We're not serving a dead God. He didn't just stay in the grave. He went to the grave, but he resurrected. And that's the God we serve. And I want to ask you, what God do you serve? A God of a book? A God who's just in there in history? Or a God who's there, but alive today in your life? A God who wants to work in and through you everywhere you go. Because that's really, you have to get there with your mind. You have to get to this place of, Lord, even if I haven't seen it the way I want it to, I have to believe what the Bible says above what I have experienced. Because sometimes we may have prayed and it didn't happen the way we'd hope And And then we take our experience and we start elevating it above what his word says was really supposed to happen. But it's when you start being like, Lord, yes, it it didn't happen the way I thought it should have. But, Lord, your word says it should have happened. And so, God, I'm going to push. I'm going to believe what this says no matter what I experience. That's what faith is. It's when you see water and you're not supposed to be able to walk on it because every single time you've ever done it in your life before, you've fallen right through but this moment this time there's this water and you just have this the bible says it could be possible and you act you take the step like peter did and suddenly for the first time in his life water wasn't acting the way it was supposed to and he started walking on it and so i want to i want to take us back to the book of acts chapter 2 because how did I want to ask you, how did Yeshua prepare his people, his apostles, for what happened in that second chapter of Acts? How did he get them ready for it? What did, how did, because, look, it's actually fascinating to me, because when they come to Yeshua and he's about to ascend, they come to him with a question. Okay, they're probably getting the vibes that he's about to ascend. And what they think of asking is this question. And this is the last question asked before he ascends. And they say, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons the father has fixed by his own authority. Now, when you look at this question, it must seem familiar to you. Because this is a question that's deep inside of the hearts of believers. This question of, Lord, are you coming now to restore your kingdom? And if not now, when are you coming back? And, and, and when wrapped up in this question is a lot of things that we look to for in prophecy. We, we look at, is, is this the mark of the beast? Is that the mark of the beast? Is the temple being built here or there, now or then? And in a time like this where the world is pressured even all the more. But it's interesting. Look at what Yeshua says. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons that my father is going to establish. You see, look, you're going to know when you're in that season. You're going to know when it's happening. You're going to know. But as for when it is, he says, actually, I'm restricting that knowledge from you. I, I'm not telling you. But, but what's more fascinating is that he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't at this point just ascend, but he actually goes and he says something further. And this is the last answer and the last thing he tells him before he would ascend. You would think it's kind of important, right? And he says this. But you, and look, what, look at what the first word is. But. Because he says, look, you're asking me about this. You're asking me about when am I going to come and restore my kingdom. I'm saying, yeah, you, you won't know the time. But, and he changes the direction of the conversation. And he says, get excited about this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. He ascended, a cloud took him out of their sight. Get excited about this, my disciples. I understand you really want to know when I'm going to come and restore my kingdom. But what I really, and I, and, I, and I respect that, but what I really want you to get at is focus on this. Look to this. Because see, there's this part of us that really wants to know that answer of that first question. And that's all right, nothing wrong, it's exciting, we like to talk about it. Nothing wrong with that. But the moment that it gets more important, when we start pursuing that knowledge at the cost of this thing, receiving power from on high, the excitement of that, being witnesses all across the earth, we'll be distracted if we're asking that question instead of looking to this. Are you with me? Am I stepping on toes because you're awful quiet? So when I look at believers today, sometimes the question isn't mostly asked, Lord, how can I best be a witness to you? But instead, what we ask is, Lord, when are you coming back? Come on, Lord. It's COVID. It's a pandemic. It's scary. The world is a crazy place. I don't like it here. Come and save me. That's what they were basically asking. That's what we are asking. I get it. I understand it. But he says, look, I restrict you from that knowledge. And what I'm directing you instead is to focus on why you're actually here. Because when he comes back, it's not about a rescue mission getting you out of here. Like This is about a bridegroom coming for his bride. And you better look like him. Because he's coming back for a bride who is equally yoked to him, who looks just like him. And so, w- what I want to just tell you is that this story of Shavuot is, is a story that we think started in Acts chapter 2, but it started way before that, actually. It started at a very popular story that you know of, I may have heard about, this Tower of Babel. It seems, on how, how do you get there, Petey? You see these people... They came together and they were in unity over their unrighteousness. They were exceedingly wicked. And they tried to build this tower. They tried to ascend, if you will, uh, into heaven. They tried to make a name for themselves. They say, Genesis 11, verse 4, they said, Go, let us build a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. You see, all the other religions of this world, they're always concerned with this thing they may call something like enlightenment or ascending. They're, you look at the pyramids. They're building these, these structures to ascend to their gods. But our God, Yahweh Elohim, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the only one who would ever whoever came down and descended and to dwell among man. Maybe he was trying to make an example there. I want you not to ascend and make a name for yourself, try and use your abilities and boast on what you could do, but I want you to actually humble yourself. I want you to serve others. I want you to do all that. This, this is this pattern that he is creating for us. And if you think about this Tower of Babel, you know, off, obviously what happens thereafter is what you immediately think about is God comes and he confounds the languages. He mixes the languages of the people where they suddenly can't understand each other anymore. So when you, ch- when you come and you ch- split the languages, you mix the languages, what do you do? You split the people. You split the ideologies. You split all of that. And now what it really is about, it's not as much about mixing languages. That's just a means to an end. The point is actually God saw their unrighteousness and he wanted to create disunity in that, because they were in unity with unrighteousness. Right? And so now we see that they, God comes with this, and now we're in this place where, where we have to ask the question, you know, this, this is all about disunity. You know, it's not just about language. I've, I've met people who are, who are speaking the same language, yet they're in incredible disunity. I've seen, in fact, husbands and wives, they speak the same language, but when they talk to each other, you'd never think so, because one doesn't understand a word that the other one is saying. Right? It's usually because one of them is trying to build a tower, or both. It's usually because we're trying to build our own kingdom inside of his. And, and you may start thinking, you know, what, what does this have to do with, with Shavuot? You see, when you look at now, if we, if when we go to Acts chapter 2, or in the book of Acts, we start seeing that what Yeshua tells the apostles, he says, I want you to go. And first he tells him, go and wait in Jerusalem. I want you to start having this thing called a fruit of the spirit of patience. So they had to start exhibiting patience before the spirit was poured out on them. Think about that. They had to start going and saying, Lord, we're going to start walking in this righteousness, this fruits of the Spirit. We're going to start doing that. And now, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we see the following. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in the same place. So so you might read this and you might be like, okay, well, one accord in one place, big deal. What's the, but see, you, and you may read on and just be like, whatever, but you totally miss what the writer's really trying to communicate there. Because, see, when you dig into the Greek and you start seeing this amazing word that was used for one accord, homothumaden. And the word homo is simply the word for being in the same place like we are. We are homo. But, but there's another part, that second root word, tumos. It's the word for passion. But not just any passion. See, this is not just I'm passionate about about playing music or I'm passionate. This is a fierce, fiery passion. In fact, this word is the same word that you would use if you are talking about a a wrath. A passion. This is one of the strongest words for a passion that you could use. That is what is used right here. These people weren't just in the same room. These people were together in the same place and they were fire, they had a fiery passion, a fierce passion about being together in unity and why they were together, what they were together for. The thing that Yeshua said just before he ascends, be ready for the Holy Spirit who will come upon you, who will come, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. This was what they were, they were passionate about. And this was a precursor, because that's in the first verse of the chapter. This doesn't happen, the race doesn't happen. Are you with me? And what happens next? The Holy Spirit, just like on Mount Sinai where God came upon the mountain and fiery smoke and trumpets and it was earthquake rumblings, the same kind of thing happens. The Holy Spirit enters with a wind into the room. And it says that tongues of fire, a fire comes and lands on the heads of these people. And they start speaking in tongues and they start understanding the languages of each other. And they say, uh, Acts 2 verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Credents, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Peter gets up there and he starts talking. Yeshua has resurrected from the dead the one whom you crucified. And these men, they get pierced to the heart. They start repenting in their hearts with his sermon, him proclaiming the gospel to them. But what does it really mean? I mean, why did God use this gift of speaking in tongues as the spiritual gift in this particular chapter, this famous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Why this gift? He could have used anyone who's trying to make a statement. You see, at the Tower of Babel, when the languages were split, these people were, were, there was this unity created by God because they were creating a tower, building it up because they were in unity over there un, in their wickedness, their unrighteousness. And God says, because you desire righteousness, because you're in the room in one accord with a fiery passion. To be my witnesses for the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now I am reversing the curse among you. And he is making a statement that you are coming together in unity. You have this fierce desire to be in unity for the sake of the kingdom. Now I will come with my spirit among you. I will do wonders among you to break down any barriers that exist. Whatever worldly barrier there could be, I'm breaking down. And second statement that he's making is that when I am calling you to be witness to the world, when you take this out into the world, there will be no worldly barrier able to stop my Holy Spirit from going forth. Because in the room, there's all these people of different nations under the curse of Babel, because they have a form of disunity of the world, because the language and God breaks that in that moment, making a demonstration of the Spirit there to show and you see, when, we, when you now start thinking about this and you start looking at Yeshua's ministry, it all starts making sense because you start immediately realizing that the greatest miracles that ever happened in his ministry almost always occurred in places where there was great disunity. You think about a leper in the first century. The world says, you can't go near a man like that. That man is unclean. He's contagious. Wear your mask. You're not allowed to. In fact, if you are gonna not forget about getting sick yourself with leprosy, you're gonna spread it to the community. You're gonna you're gonna be uh 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 you're gonna be the community is gonna excommunicate you easily because you're now part of that. But yet, Yeshua, with all of this going on. All this cultural stigma is around it. Where, I mean, this man, just think about it. He's a leper. He's, when was the last time he had a hug? When he comes into a, a place and everyone scatters and runs away, get away from me. And he has to say, unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. This is my identity. This is who I am. But then one day he walks up to the Messiah, a righteous man, a rabbi, an esteemed man, And the the rabbis of the day, they're not going to mix with that uncleanness. But yet Yeshua comes and he walks up to him and he touches him. And he makes him clean. You know, in that moment, there's a great kind of disunity between them before he touches him. The world says, you don't mix, you don't go there. Yeshua goes and he touches him. And he breaks, and the spirit of God breaks the barrier that the world says is there. What about the blind man? If you're a blind man in the first century, you can't really use your hands and work. You're usually going to be a poor man. You're going to live in that side of town where the esteemed rabbis don't go. You don't mix with them. That's what the Pharisees said. How can he mix among the sinners and those? But why was Yeshua so often finding himself in the midst of poor Men In the midst of those disabled, in the midst of those lowly, if you will, from the world's perspective, why was he there most? Why was his ministry almost focused on that? He was like a magnet because the spirit of God's purpose is to break the curse of disunity. That's what you've been called to, by the way. to to reverse the curse of this unity in this world. The places where you're not supposed to go, where the world says you can't go, that man you're not supposed to minister to and be kind to and pray for, Yeshua prays for the blind man and opens his eyes. What about the Samaritans? The the Samaritans and the Jews in the first century, there's no culture group probably that's more divided. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's not a group probably in more disunity, but yet Yeshua he meets a Samaritan woman, as you all know the story. He gives her healing and sends her as a witness. And later he goes himself into that town of Samaria, where all the other Jews are like, "What, what are you? What are you doing? You crazy? They're gonna They're gonna hurt you. Not to mention, what do you, Why do you mix with them? Are you just like them?" And and it's it's this whole thing. And, but yet it doesn't stop them. It's like he's a magnet. He's attracted to them. He goes to that place of disunity. He's a Jew. They threw bones into our temples. You can't go and just make peace. But yet he goes and he does miracles among them. What about Cornelius? Do you know the story very well, this one? Peter gets the vision, which you all very well know, If the unclean animals. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. God says, and Peter says, Lord, what are, you, what are you talking about? I've never touched anything unclean. And, and you know this verse well because you're so used to defending what it does not mean, right? Thank you. In fact, you know, what we read is Acts 10, 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know, this is Peter speaking, and he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. And so now, following that, Peter, he comes into this house because now God has shown him, you can go, please go to the Gentiles. He enters that place. And I bet you that at this point, they're walking in there, it's a little scary, these people, they're, they're, they're of a Gentile nation. They're, we're not even allowed to be in there. We're not allowed to mix with them. They're really weird. They've got some strange sins and practices. They eat some weird stuff. They probably don't keep the Sabbath the way I do. And yet he enters that place. And yet he starts preaching to them the gospel of Yeshua and him crucified. And just like in Acts chapter 2, coincidence. The Holy Spirit enters the room and fills these Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. And Peter is astonished. Wow, God has actually come to the Gentiles as well. That's what he comes away with. You see, brothers and sisters, sometimes we are so concerned, and I understand, but sometimes we're so concerned with with defending a verse of what it doesn't say, you know, that you can eat whatever you want. Yeah, it doesn't say that. We're so concerned with defending what it does not say that we sometimes miss what it does say, and what it really is trying to tell us, that you can actually go into the house of a man the world calls unclean and not like you and and evil and unrighteous and the, the worst of the worst. Any person... And you can go and you can go in there with the purpose of bridging the gap, of bringing freedom into that place. In fact, that's where the Holy Spirit moved. You want to see the Spirit move in your life? Then be prepared to go where they went to see it happen. Because I can think of thousands of these examples to tell you about. And the Spirit always showed up with the purpose of the same purpose of Acts 2 to break the barriers that are there. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't for your amusement, He isn't for your ideas, He isn't for what you want to do, He's not for your kingdom. He's to do what the Father sent Him for to bring the gospel to the lost and to restore the breach and reverse the curse of Babel. To bring unity back into this world. This world is under the curse of Bible even today still. There is more disunity than ever before. In America, it's a great example. You know what I'm talking about. And the world is telling you, you need to hate the other side. You need to hate those who don't think like you, who don't do like you, who criticize you, who hate you, who persecute you, who are your enemies. You better treat them the way they're treating you is what the world is going to tell you. The only problem is is if you do that, the Spirit isn't going to move a finger. The Holy Spirit moves when you're willing to be like they were and enter a place even that feels super uncomfortable because that's when He shows up. And that's not easy. I'm going to be honest, that's really difficult. It's really hard. And, you know, when you think about it this way, you could be kind of surprised with what God could do, what kind of person God could touch and call. And sometimes we think this, you know, even though we wouldn't say it, sometimes we, we wouldn't reach out to someone because we think, no, they're just too far on that side. They're just too far. I, I don't know how, that, they're, they're, how that's going to happen. You know, when I tell you about Paul, immediately you're going to think, yeah, I can get into my head how Paul was, uh, you know, a Christian, because, well, he's all over your Bible. But remember that it wasn't always that way. In fact, I want to remind you of when, 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 when Stephen, the first martyr, when he was taken out there after preaching his marvelous sermon, the scriptures say that the men started picking up their stones and they took off their coats and laid it at the feet of Paul, Saul. I bet you that he was kind of standing there like, and as they were picking up stones, he was being filled with more and more joy. And as they started attacking Stephen, we see Stephen, he looks to the heavens, he said, I see the sun sitting at the right hand of the father. And he sees this vision. And as, they, as he says this, they get more and more angry. They start throwing. They start throwing. He starts getting hit by these rocks. And as he knows, he's getting to his last few breaths. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do not hold this against them. He repeats what Yeshua said when he was hanging on that cross for you. You Do you realize that if Yeshua doesn't say that you don't sit here, you realize that if he doesn't forgive you for your sins that put him on that cross, you're not here. Now what if, what if it's possible that Stephen's prayer for Paul is the reason Paul is in your Bible? Because it's his lost words. What if it landed on God's ears and God loved Stephen so much that God was like, you know what, I'm going to extend mercy towards this enemy that stoned my child. You see, of course, Paul, we, he, we find him on the road to Damascus and he, he meets the Lord in a vision. Soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? He gets a vision, kind of just like how Stephen got that vision just before he died. Coincidence? The father heard Stephen's prayer. But that that wasn't the first time God tried to reach Paul, believe it or not. As many of you know, Gamaliel was the man who mentored Paul. Paul studied under him. He was a disciple of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is the same guy in the book of Acts who stands up in the Sanhedrin and says, Hey guys, Leaders, be careful about persecuting these disciples, because if they are for God, you may just be coming against the Father yourself. So we know Gamaliel's position. You don't think Gamaliel was telling Paul, "Hey, Paul, watch out! You're persecuting these Christians. You're making it your life. Watch out! You don't know what you're up to." I bet. I mean, we know that that would have gone down, because they were close. But Paul, in his youth, and his passion, and his zeal, in his ignorance, he doesn't listen. But God still has mercy on him when Stephen gives him that praise for him. I want to ask you the question of, you know, see, what I'm talking about here, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, you may ask, well, what does this all have to do with it? It has everything to do with it. Because if Yeshua was not like this, if the disciples were not like this, if they didn't get this, then the Holy Spirit doesn't move the way He does in the first century. So you want the Holy Spirit to move? Then start seeing the world through the eyes of the Messiah. Start seeing your enemies through His eyes. You see, a lot of times when I say the word unity, a lot of people, they go like this and they hear compromise. Compromise. Well, Petey, are you telling me I should, I should go into the house of a sinner and, and dine with them? I say, yes, you better. I'm not saying compromise. I'm not saying, I'm not saying compromise the truth. I'm, not, I'm saying speak the truth. But unity means, yes, you go to the places. You go to the people, the co-worker you have who, who hates God. You go to whoever it is that God is pulling you to. And you boldly go. And proclaim to them the truth. You boldly go and love them for who they are. A son of God just like you are. You see, the only thing that sets you apart is that you know something that they don't. And so when we look at the disciples, after Yeshua comes out of that town of the Samaritans because they just rejected him, the disciples, they say, Yeshua, you've given us this power do you want us go, to go and lay down fire on these Samaritans? We'll teach them a lesson. We, we want to be like Elijah. Really what they're saying is, we want to make a name for ourselves. You see, they, they, there was this part of them that, that sometimes we have a part of that like in us. This desire to build our own kingdom even inside of his. Cloaked with this cloak of Religion. It's so easy to start wanting to let God's power work for our desires and needs instead of what He came for. And so the irony is, is that in the first or or at Babel, as God scattered them in their unrighteousness, in our in Christianity, we are sometimes just as scattered as Babel was, even though we're supposed to be representatives of righteousness even though we're supposed to be living free from this curse of this unity. We have 33,000 denominations. We have more being made every day. And now we have people saying, I don't need anyone else. I'm right. God has spoken to me in a way that He's not spoken to anyone else like. And, and I could do this. You see, the fear of God must grip you. Because, you know, there's this prayer. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's, it's Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just take a moment. What does heaven look like? Because in my Bible, it says that there are these angels... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And I see this mixed multitude before the throne singing, holy, holy is the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And these people are standing together, all of them worshiping Him in unity because He's in the room. You see, when you get there, you, God is not going to be like, hey, hey, I'm going to get you your own room because you weren't able to really get along back on earth. So, you know, uh, you can go and worship me over there. You see, you, you, you better get along now. You better now start desiring unity. Not, and, and unity here, which is so important, and this desire to be a witness to those outside with the purpose of bringing them in. Not compromising the truth, but bringing them in by the power of God to restore that unity as well. That's why you're here. That's why, what you're called to. You're not called ab- above that to delve into other things. That's your main calling. Do you get me? Because there's a lot going on in this world that's really interesting. There's a lot going on about what about this vaccine? And is this the mark of the beast? And is this and this there's there's so many things that's there to distract you and the enemy is laughing all the way. As long as you're doing you're focusing on these things at the cost of what God said you need to focus on. Yeshua said in Matthew eighteen, verse nineteen, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For we two or three gather my name, there I am among you. And he says in the same chapter, if you have an issue with someone in your fellowship, you have an issue with the teaching, you have an issue of how something's been done, you're upset about that. The Bible says you go to that person, you and them alone. You talk about it. It says you work things out, and you think that that's just about your friendship with someone if they've wronged you. It's just about restoring that relationship. Well, that's important. God wants that. But it's about something much larger than you and your relationships. It's about the kingdom of God, which when you don't follow the protocol, you defile his kingdom. When you break away just because your feelings got hurt and you don't have the boldness to go and actually work it out, the humility to go and work it out with a brother, you're bringing destruction upon his kingdom and you don't probably even know it. And this is everything to do with whether you will see the Holy Spirit manifest and work in your life. I want to remind you of another story. Ananias and Sapphira. You know, when you, when you read this story the first time, it's kind of like, well, you know, they did a really good thing. I mean, man, they did something amazing. They, they went and they sold their land. They took all that money and they went to the apostles' table. They dropped it on the table and they say, hey, we're making this donation to your ministry. And it's like, wow, that's, that's commendable. The only problem was, as you may know, they, they sold the land, they took some of the proceeds for themselves, and the rest of it they went and they put on the table, Here is the proceeds of the land, please take it, it's our donation to you. You see, what that tells us, that, that little lie, which doesn't seem to be a, like a big deal, becomes such a big deal when you realize the motive of the lie. The fact that they wanted all that exaltation. They wanted to build their own kingdom inside of God's. They wanted to hear the words, Wow, you made this donation. Wow, you, you, you kick-started this. this you, you did all this. Wow, thank you. You see, when we think about church, or we think about a gathering like this, and coming and, be, and being a worship. Uh, leader or, 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 or preaching a sermon or, or putting out the chairs when, when no one else was doing it or, or working behind the scenes or maybe make, making food or, 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 you know, we're all called into a form of servanthood. But when you do that for your own gain, when you do that because you wanted to get recognized, you wanted to climb the church ladder... Coming to church might have just been the most worldly thing you did all week. And you, you may ask again, well, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? You see, it's interesting what Peter tells them just before Ananias Sapphira dies. He says, he, he doesn't say, hey, you, you, you lie to me. And he, he didn't say, hey, you lie to the congregation. He, he didn't even say you lie to the Father. He didn't even say that you lie to Yeshua. He said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You trying to build your own kingdom, that disqualifies you from the Holy Spirit. You don't get to be a part of that. And so I want you to ask yourself, I want you to to look inside and not only look inside, but ask the Father, Lord, I don't know my own heart. The heart is desperately sick. Who can know it? Just the father can. Just to say, Lord, I don't know, Lord, why have I been doing what I've been doing even in, in religious acts? Has it truly been for you all the way or have I kind of held some of it for myself? Has there been a little portion of it, just a few pennies that's been for my own gain? And so when we look at now Yeshua's motive, when we look at Anais, Zephira, it's that of their own game, building their own tower, building their own kingdom, and when you look at Yeshua, we see this interesting motive that he has, where it says in Matthew 9:36, "When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd." I want to tell you a little testimony. Just a few weeks ago, I went to visit my parents in South Africa. At that time, I haven't been there in two years, so we, me and my wife, we got to spend some time with them, and it was wonderful. And we were at this lake, and it was this place, just a, a nice place to get away. And every day, there was a maid that kind of came, and they, she just, just to kind of clean up when we went out, and that happens in South Africa, it's kind of common. And the morning, the first morning when she comes and, and I see her and I greet her, I meet her, I'm like, hey, you know, hi, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it, and just being friendly. And 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 I notice something. The moment she walks up to me, she's she's looking like, yes, sir. That's yes, sir. No problem. That's fine, sir. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And, and she just she's just looking to the ground. Not for a moment does she make eye contact with me, and and it it, it really bothers me because I, I i don't know why like is is it is it because when she was young is it because i 'm a man and and when she was young, she was abused by a father or an uncle was it that her husband abused her, or maybe it's something totally different was it because she uh, she sees me as better than she is for some reason or or something like of that sort I, I really don't know but but there's something wrong, and in that moment, the father. His Holy Spirit starts flooding me with this compassion on her. And, and, I, and, I, and I start, all, and I ask her, hey, just before she leaves, I'm like, hey, I just, you know, I'm, I'm on the on the brink of of not, I'm kind of like there at that place of, should I, should I not? Well, yeah, I'm just, hey, can I just ask you a question? Is there anything that I can just pray for? And she's like, no, no, thank you. That's very kind, but it's fine. And she starts, you know, and I'm like, Okay, but hey, is there anything that I can pray for for you? Please let me know. And she says, okay, yeah, thank you. You know, I have high blood pressure, and I really appreciate prayers for that. I'm like, okay, cool. Father, I thank you, Lord, in the name of Yeshua, God. I speak to her, high blood pressure. God, I just thank you for giving her, filling her with your spirit and blessing her in the name of Yeshua. Amen. And she's kind of like, she didn't expect me to start praying right there. (laughs) Right? And she's like, Oh, thank you. That was I appreciate that, you know, and and she's really awkward and just goes in. And I'm just, okay, well, you know, and I just go on with my day and we go and we enjoy our day And, and the next morning I wake up, I go out on the porch and and there she is and she's brought a friend. And and I'm and I'm really it's weird because they're looking me right in the eye and they both have big smiles on their face. And I'm wondering what happened. And I'm asking, hey, you know what, what's going on? Why, why are you, yesterday you, you know, you struggled and what's, what's in. She's like, oh, you know what? I, I, I didn't really tell you what was wrong yesterday. Because <laughs> see, the, the truth is that I haven't been able to sleep in months. I have insomnia chronically. And I have pain all over my body as well. I didn't want to tell you. And and last night when I went to bed, I slept perfectly for the first time in months, and I had no pain. And the only thing that I could think happened was that I saw this man who I didn't know, who prayed a prayer, and something happened. Mm. Glory to God. And and here's the best part. And she says, and I brought my friend, because I want her to experience the same thing I did yesterday. There is no barrier that can withstand what the Holy Spirit's power has over. You see, like, there was something wrong. There was something between us. I don't know what it was. Culturally, whatever it was, it bothered me. But I knew my God is stronger than that. And I had to push through, even though she was hesitant. Even though she was like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to let you pray for me. But I took the chance anyway. And because I took the chance the Lord could do a miracle and remind her who did it. Yes, it was because he prayed. She didn't know my name. It's best that way. You see, brothers and sisters, there's this possibility for us to... You, we lo, you live in a state. I know what this state is like. I understand it's difficult. I understand that, that there's not a church on every corner. I understand the culture. I understand it all. But what I see is, is opportunity. You may see I need to move away. I see I want to be in a place like this. You know what? where I live right now? I'm saying I don't find enough people who are suffering. I want to, there's too many churches. There's too many people who think the way I do. I want to move somewhere where I can find some people who don't. Because otherwise, what does it help? I, I, I need to find. That's what Yeshua did. He was a magnet like I said to those weren't like him who didn't think like him who the world says you don't mess with you don't mix with you don't go with you don't go and dine with him but see if you want to see the holy spirit work in your life you have to go to those places so i want to ask you where is your heart in this whole matter and if you want the holy spirit tonight why do you want him because if you want him, like Ananias and Sapphira did, then don't even ask, because I don't want you to drop dead. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of not. right? Because see, oftentimes it's been like, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I want the Holy Spirit. Give me the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit too. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. Do you understand he's called the Holy Spirit? Holy not just willy-nilly spirit, okay? Holy, and he calls you to be holy and above all in your motives, in your heart, in what you, what, why you really want to do good. Because see, you can do good and it can be evil because you did good just for your own gain. And that's the most scary part of it all for me. And the only way that you're going to understand all that of of what's inside is if you really, really, really just go and say, Lord, I really need you to show me what's in my heart. And this feast is the ideal time for that. As we commemorate what happened 2,000 years ago, let's make sure our hearts were the same as the apostles were. Because then maybe, just maybe, what happened among them could happen among us. Maybe, just maybe the Lord sees that and he's like, oh, let me work in power in might among them. Because this is a people who is different. This is a people who is set apart. This is a kind of people who actually want to have my spear, not for themselves, not so that they can brag on a stage, not so that they can do whatever, but so that they can change the world for my name's sake and not their own. Because see, usually when you make your own name and make a name for yourself, it's at the cost of God's name. When you're trying to build a tower for yourself, it's totally the opposite kind of thing. And so tonight I want to ask you, I want you to to take a moment right now. We're going to take a moment right now. And I want you to take a minute, and we're going to think about what I said here. And I want you to pray to the Lord. I want you to say, God, show me what's in my heart. Show me what I need to repent from, if anything. Make in me a clean heart. I want you to let the Lord sort you out right now before we do anything further. And after that, if you're serious about this and you allow Him to invade your heart with His truth, to expose every lie, every dark thing, every selfish desire, everything you've ever wanted, and as you repent of that right now, the Lord says in His Word, He is trustworthy to forgive every transgression, every iniquity that you may have had. And once we have done that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you the question of do you really want this? And then we can come forward and then we can pray and then we can see how his spirit moves like he did in Acts chapter 2. Ken, can we have a little bit of music up here? And I want everyone to take a moment. I want you to, you, you get alone with the Lord right now. You're going to take a few minutes and we're going to pray. Father, we come right now to you, Lord, and we take our hearts, Father, and we give it into your hands, Lord. We say, Father, come, Lord, take our hearts as a living sacrifice to you, invaded it with your motives. Give us your compassion like Yeshua had. Father, give us the love that Yeshua had even for his enemies. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would come, Lord, and give us a boldness, a fire, to be in unity amongst ourselves with one another in fellowship, that fiery unity, Lord, that you had, that you had given your apostles. And Father, I pray for a boldness and a fiery desire to reach those outside, even in the dark places, in, even in those who, are, who, are far, who seem far off, And even those who the world says is in this unity with us. Father, right now, Lord, we repent for everything we've ever done for your kingdom when it was actually for ourselves. Father, we don't want to come before you one day with that, Lord. So we right now ask that you would come and expose, show it to us, let us see it, and help us, oh, Father to have a clean heart before you as we ask for your Holy Spirit in this time, in this season. So Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your Son. I thank you you tore the veil. I thank you you enabled us to be able to receive the Holy Spirit. Because before, we couldn't even come near the mountain when when that mountain was on fire at Mount Sinai. But when you tore the veil, Father, you allowed us to be the temple that you fill. And so, Lord, right now we thank you that we are worthy because you said we are. We don't get to believe we're not. We don't get to hear and believe what others have said about us, that we're not worthy. We don't get to feel guilty about the past that we've repented from, from for you because you have forgiven us. And we don't get to have unforgiveness towards ourselves We don't get to hold unforgiveness towards others in light of what you have done for us, in light of the freedom. And I say all this because you must understand that God has given you freedom. And if you feel unworthy for his Holy Spirit, you are going to hold on to your thing and you're not going to allow him to fill you. So you need to tonight come and let go. You need to tonight come and say, God, I'm going to believe what you said in your word. I'm going to believe that you actually makes me, you make me clean. I'm going to believe that you make me whole. I'm going to believe that you actually forgave the deepest, darkest things I've ever done to others in my past. The stuff I've been ashamed of and guilty of in my past. Father, I forgive myself, I forgive others, and I thank you that you forgive me. Father, I thank you right now, Lord, that you come and sweep with your spirit right now through every heart right here. I thank you right now, Lord, that you start touching them right now as I speak. I thank you right now, Lord, that you start creating a fire among us here. Father, Holy Spirit, come into this place like you did. Come into this place like you did all over again. For you come to testify of the resurrected King, the only one worthy. The Holy One of Israel. Yeshua the Messiah. He has raised on the third day. And he is alive. And he is in this room among you right now. Do you believe it? He is in the midst of you right now. And Lord, I thank you that you ascended for the purpose of descending your spirit upon, upon us tonight. So Father, I thank you right now, Lord. As we, as, we, as we lift up our hands, I want you to lift up your hands. And I want you, if you you want this, if you feel like I have been lacking this, I have not seen this, I desire more of this in my life, there's something that's been missing. And I have now come and I've given my heart to the Lord. Those barriers, I now come and I give to the Lord. The barriers the Holy Spirit breaks. Have I told you that before? Do you remember in Acts chapter 2? So now we are saying, Lord, we, there are no more barriers because your spirit breaks every single one of them tonight. We will believe that. We will believe what your word says.